BMG Partners and 1494 2AY presents The Journey Podcast. The stories you're about to hear are true. They shine a light on the events and incidents, known and unknown, that have shaped the lives of the Albury-Wodonga region's most intriguing personalities, local legends and unsung heroes. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome to a new episode of The Journey, and it's a perfectly named podcast today because my guest has just returned from an extraordinary, successful world record attempt, a journey of more than 2,600 kilometres on a stand-up paddleboard, alone down the full length of the Murray River and circumnavigating some of our Great Lakes too. He has an incredible story. And he joins me. Peter Charlesworth, hello. Hello, how are you? Really well, thank good, you. Good, good. Now, um, all right, I'm going to ask you the standard first question yep. and then we'll we'll twist things slightly with mm-hmm. uh, today's journey. So what's your heritage to our region? Okay. Are you born and bred here? No, no, I was born in Williamstown in um, Melbourne, maritime town. Uh, grew up around the ocean. I was a lifesaver and lifeguard down there and... Went to primary school in Williamstown, went to school on the eastern side of Melbourne and uh, moved up here about 24 years ago. Came oh, up wow. here with family, yeah. So yep. obviously don't regret it, 24 years. No, no, no. No, love it here. Absolutely. The only, the, I guess the bit that uh, I was, the itch that I was scratching with the, the trip side of things was being landlocked and I'm just, I've lived my life on the ocean pretty much, like all of my formative years. Uh, went sort of between Williamstown and the Great Ocean Road and uh, coming up here and sort of being isolated away from the water, kind of, it was always a bit of a, a, yeah, something I needed to get back to. I always do find a way to, yeah, mm, yeah. Mm. All right, we're going to get back to yeah, yeah. what brought you here yep. in the first place and yep. why you've stayed so long. But I want to actually start at the end, yep, and that is this extraordinary journey that you've just finished. So mm. it started in early March, yep. went for, what, around three months, yep. alone on a stand-up paddleboard, more than 2,600 kilometres. Yep. Can you possibly put into words what that experience has been like? The, I can. The, the experience was incredible. It was everything I sort of hoped it would be and more, and I did have... Uh, a couple of close calls um, and I've been asked fairly frequently, did you ever want to just pull the pin and come home? And um, there was only two occasions where I did uh, and they were I was w- in sort of positions where I overstretched myself and I made decisions that I uh, hadn't fully thought through and I took a bit of a, what I thought was a, a gamble or a, a calculated risk. So give me an example. Yeah, well... The, probably the, the the clearest one would be Lake Albert. Well, I paddled into the top of Lake Albert with a strong, uh, it was sort of a northeasterly wind, um, and I was on the wind shadow side of the lake, but those lakes are huge. Lake Alexandrina is um, enormous. It's nearly 40 kilometres long, and Lake Albert is just under 20. And on Lake Albert, on the, the wind shadow side, there was barely any, any uh, wind chop. And I paddled across the high side of the lake and turned in thinking it would be safe to just get a tailwind. And by the time I got to the middle of the lake, it was waist-high white caps. The wind really took off on me and my whole body was cramping up and I got to a really dark place. 
and if I had stayed in those circumstances for another hour or two, I would have had a real problem. And I kind of limped off the side of the lake and uh, exhausted and uh, got to a place I didn't think I would. Uh, and it just came off making that decision. So from there, on, I was being pretty measured about it. Um, but there, there were other smaller moments that got me close to that point, but things like leg pain and your feet swelling up in the heat and nerve pain, there, there were points where I couldn't feel my feet because you're standing for you know, 11, 12, 13 hours a day on a th- sort of 35, 36 degree day and your feet just swell. Um, but I just started to learn to read my body and because I was pitching way past the point of what was happening on face value in that moment, I had a much higher goal. It just become a matter of became a matter of accommodating it and figuring out what strategy can I put in place to handle this to get through it. And I didn't ever think oh, this is just going to end the trip or yeah. just use it as an excuse to give up. I mean, obviously, you knew that it was going to be difficult. Yep. Nobody enters into something like that thinking it's going to be a walk yeah, in the park. Yeah. But was it was it harder than you thought it would be? In places, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but again, I, early on without the benefit of the experience, I was, I had these milestones in my head. Like I was making myself do 10 kilometers before I'd even consider having a rest. And then I'd rest for five minutes and do another 10 K and my legs and my feet, my back would really would blow up and I'd really suffer. And, uh, I thought, you know what, maybe just listen to my body. When I start getting pins and needles, take a five minute break, sit down, elevate my feet, put my feet in the cold water and, uh, try and work around it a little bit. And at the end of the day, I was doing very similar case. It just, I just had to vary my approach and my mentality and put some things in place to set myself up to get through it more comfortably. Mm -hmm. And you, um, you you did get to stop and stay in towns and mm. things like that. Mm. So so part of the rules meant that you didn't have to do it every day continuously. You, you could take a bit of time out and meet some people and yeah, relax. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that must have been wonderful, incredible. Yeah, incredible. There was a, a thread, not a thread of tension, but a thread of um, staying disciplined and staying committed to the timeline through the whole thing. And when I was laid up. There was four periods on those big lakes at the end where I had four-day blocks where the wind would just 70-plus k's an hour and you'd be life-threatening to go. I would be anxious. So I'd be burning energy and be anxious and stressed about not getting in that day's paddling and because it's not an infinite thing. I couldn't be out there. As it was, the plan was 70 to 80 days. And as I did have 80 days of paddling, but the trip total was 99 including those days where I was laid up and I got home on the 100th day. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I just had to learn to relax. But the people made the trip, you know, just amazing people and fantastic conversations around healthcare and heart health and which is where I was Mm. coming from. All right. Well, that's that's ended this section beautifully because, um, all right, we're going to start joining the dots now between – that and what made you decide to do that and let's go back to your childhood in Melbourne and points in between include uh, a massive health scare yep. and a book yep. as well but let's let's get to that in a tick so let's go back Melbourne you were you were um, born and bred you decided yep. to come up here what brought you to Albury Wodonga so family and work uh, change of lifestyle um, all of those things and uh, 
uh, was in Tulla Street in North Albury to start with, and uh, with Scarlett and. Um, so Scarlett, your eldest daughter. Eldest daughter. Yeah. Yep. So you you met your partner in Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, at university down in um, down in Melbourne, yep. and then. And what's her name, Pete? Well, that that is that part of a past life. So yeah, I've had some changes family wise. So at that point, it was Meg, and then uh, moved to Tulla Street in Albury. Circumstances changed, and uh, we sort of recalibrated our lives, which was great. And uh, so now uh, I'm married to Bridie. So you may have heard of the Dog Education Centre over in uh, Wodonga. Uh, Bridie's a powerhouse, dog training powerhouse in, in the region. And uh, she uh, is an incredible person. And uh, she and I have Olivia. She's our youngest. And Scarlett. And, uh, yeah, we uh, lead a diverse kind of life between yeah, all the different yeah. interests we have. Yeah. So what what brought you here? If you do love the ocean, yep. what what made you what made you decide to to settle settle here? Just a change in life. Yeah, just a change in circumstances, and just to uh, just take a fresh approach. And I've been like that throughout my whole working life. Um, and I tend to be the sort of person that, and the paddle trip's a good example of that. I will get a sniff of what I think is a good idea and something that's going to add a bit of vibrancy and uh, meaning to my life and the people around me um, and I'll focus on it and run with it. And I've had a few, quite a few different business interests over the years um, and personal interests. The book you've mentioned is one great example of that where I tend to be a bit... Uh, ADHD hyper focused on things and I find things that I can hyper focus on and uh, I really sort of overachieve when I'm in the zone mm, and mm. I think uh, yeah I think the paddle trips a really good example of that yeah all right well um, we're gonna get to the book in a in a sec I'm intrigued about uh, university what did you what did you study at right at so this this is also getting into the diverse sort of range of experiences i'm trained as a primary teacher i've got a bachelor of education right okay yeah and i uh, did that at deakin uni in warrnambool of all places um and spent most days on a surfboard down there it was a fantastic place to live and and uh study and uh also trained as a, a landscape gardener yeah, right, right. So, so when you moved here, did you get into teaching or <laughs> no, all landscape gardening? No, no, no. Neither. No, <laughs> neither. I was actually working for, uh, well, they're now called, they used to be called Fjord International uh, and uh, changed their name to Agvos, who in the end became the primary sponsor, the platinum sponsor of the paddle trip, which was fantastic to have their support. And they're a great uh, local family, great employer locally. I think they've got 50 plus staff now and they're really doing everything they can to consolidate their manufacturing here in Australia. Yeah. Uh, and their whole is, sort of mantra is about supporting uh, farmers and regional people and people just with their gardens and, you know, home hardware and all that sort of stuff. So uh, they're a great organisation and great family and uh, um, I've had a lot of personal contact with them as well. <clears throat> So that was really the first job I did yeah. when I moved here. And then um, out of the working with them, the, my photography really started to take off. And I've had probably, well, including the part-time bit at the start, almost 23, 24 years as a full-time professional photographer. 
commercial and event photography. And yeah. then the other interests have been sort of sideline interests. What do you love about photography? I've always, since I was 11, I, I borrowed my dad's camera when I was 11 and just fell in love with it. He had an old Practica camera, which as cameras go, isn't anything overly flash, but it was just that classic old film camera, set up a dark room at home and, and I'm old enough to have started in film photography. Um, I think it's a really good combination of that hyper-focus that, that I have mentally and, and on projects where I can vicariously go in with a client you know, let's say it's a Mars or a Rivoli or, you know, I have a lot of big corporate clients or Joss and I'll go in and be given a brief, but they'll give me a bit of creative license and I'll build them an image library that they can draw down on for a period of time. Um, so they'll give me a list of jobs they've finished and say, okay, we're going to give you access. When can you go out and do it? But they know I'll over deliver and build uh, collateral they can draw on for the next quarter or the next six months and with really fresh, vibrant content. Uh, and I absolutely love mm. it. Yeah. So you mainly focus on corporate clients yeah. rather than doing weddings. and Well, weddings is sort of tailed off. I've I've got, I think, somewhere between four and 500 weddings I've shot over the years. So I, I, that was a big core part of what I was doing. And I do still get quite a few and they're really organic now. They just kind of come off typically families I've shot within their families. You know, I'll, you know, I'll go, all the kids eventually will come to me and say, oh, you know, you shot my sister's wedding and, you know, mm-hmm. we'd love to have you. We thought we really enjoyed you being around and love the photos and it tends to be the way it works. I don't push overly hard um, because I, I've always had the attitude with that sort of work that, I'd treat it like it's my first and last job and stay as passionate as I could for the client and approach it from their point of view, not from mine. And that's kept that fresh the whole way through. But I guess over time, it's kind of, I'm moving more towards the corporate side. Yeah. Corporate yeah. and corporate events. Yeah. Tell me, has um, has the increase in availability, obviously, of, of smartphones and and pretty good cameras now on phones yeah has what what has that done to professionals is it actually helped i mean do, do people have a greater appreciation now of, of photography or is it or has it been detrimental because no no they can take their own shots i think like in a lot of creative spaces it it literally boils down to move it or lose it if you if you're looking at it from a professional point of view like working professionally in that field uh, whether it's graphic design, um, producing content for social media. And there are some great organisations locally um, do brilliant work here who companies outsource that work to um, because they do such a good job and consistency is king. You know, if, if you can get into those uh, spaces, you're producing content consistently. Now, if, you, if you're capable of doing that yourself, you could do that with a, an iPhone. You know, you can shoot 5K video or 4K video and um, if you know how to compose a shot and do decent sound and uh, do your post-production work and bring it together in a professional package, there's plenty of people out there who do a great job of that themselves. But if it's not really a core part of what you do, then, you know. So, But to be in the race, you have to be progressive and you have to be moving with the times and giving your clients what they're asking for. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. All right. Now, mm. I, I want to go somewhat chronological here Yep. Um, because I believe 
the book happened just before <laughs> the 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 massive health issue yeah. which we'll get to with with your heart. So yep. um so the book, what was it about and, and why did you decide to, to to write it? The book I'd actually started writing when I moved to Albury. Um I I started writing it in a different form and I didn't know at the time what it was going to be. Um, and I put it down for a few years and then I just had this um, draw to it and it it sort of started coming out as a personal development book and I thought I'd run with that. And it's it's written, it's almost written in, in I'm... Um, revisiting all of the things that I've learned and I've been challenged with in my life and not saying do what I do because I'm a guru. It's sort of written to myself about things that I could have made better decisions with earlier on, the lessons I've learned in my life. Uh, and it's a, the philosophy of it is, again, wrapped up in the paddle trip in terms of goal setting and um, breaking it down into consistent actionable um pieces whatever it is that you're doing and the book is called rich happy strong free and it's written around building capacity in those areas wealth happiness your physical fitness and mental fitness and health and the amount of freedom you have in your life uh, but not building any one of those at the expense of the others so you know not being uh, a gym junkie driving around in a beaten up old car and nothing in your retirement fund, you know, but actually approaching things from a balanced point of view so that if you do get sick, you can cover yourself. If we do have an ec economic downturn like we are now, that you've financially got your bases covered uh, as best you can. Um, so it's really, and interestingly, it, it's found a kind of a weird home in prisons in the US. It's it's actually something I've had a few. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, contacts from uh, people who've been handed the book in while they've been incarcerated overseas. And because it's written quite directly and it's sort of about, you know, cutting out the things that you shouldn't really be doing. Yeah, and yeah. That are so is this, uh, so you finished the book, would I be right in saying about, Six, six I, years ago, five, no, six years No, ago. no, no. I literally, in it was uh, June 2020, right? I had this was just under three years ago. I had the first book signing at Dimmicks in Albury. Uh, Andrew and Heather over there, fantastic local business people. They are, yes. Yeah. They um, invited me in. I did my first book signing. And then at the end of that week, I started getting chest pain. And while well, I was mowing the lawns, and and it was chest pain that had been sort of progressively getting worse, um, with different things that I was doing. But I remember searing chest pain, short of breath, pain down the left arm, mowing the lawns. Were you sorry to interject? Yeah. But were you were you fit and and healthy? Mate, have you have you been fit and healthy another, through the yeah, through the decades? And another reason for the trip, I was always athletic, always. And I've consistently, and it's not a brag, but because I look after myself, most people say, you're not, you're the age you say you are. Yeah. Like, I'm 50 now. Yeah. And I've just broken a ultra-distance world record at 50. And But I do, I always did look after myself, but the issue was, and this was the, the, the foundational reason for the trip, is I had no idea because the damage was inside, it was internal, and there's only some specific tests that you can do that will quantify that level of damage from a cardiac health point of view. Um, and uh, I thought, well, 
no one ever sat me down and said heredity you you know family tree needs to be considered uh and you know we ne- do need to run these types of tests to get a gauge on where yeah. your cardiac yeah. health is do you mind us going back to Don't mind. the moment where it all so you you were saying you were you were mowing the lawns you'd been feeling yep. um what 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 was the sensation just like pressure just, like pressure on your chest and it's you know when you if you've done a big cardio set or you've gone for a run or you do a hill run up monument or whatever and you just stopped that ascent and you're really drawing breath hard you feel that pressure to get oxygen in it's actually that pressure but it's coming from your heart muscle when you've got blockages on your arteries on your heart your heart's literally starving of oxygen it's starved of oxygen and it's starting to break down and it's your body's way of saying ah you better stop you know moving around because there's a supply issue here and we got some damage going on. Yeah, but you didn't realise that, and no and, idea. and again, because you know we've been told for years and years, obviously that if you have certain lifestyle factors mm. or you're obese or or, or whatever, you, you can have serious issues. But with someone who's fit and healthy, it wouldn't be the first thing that would pop into your head. No, no, absolutely not. And 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 then you overlay the because effectively the pathway for me was i had the angina the chest pain short of breath i went in to have a stress test done at a private suite in in uh swift street and where they put you on a treadmill with eat the dots on your chest and they they do an ecg while you're and take your blood pressure while you're putting your heart under load so with a bit of mild exercise and 30 seconds in my blood pressure was 210 over 100 wow and the doctor said to me get off the treadmill you're going to die so that was very quick they did a through my sternum did an ultrasound scan and said you need to get yourself to the base hospital and admit yourself we're going to send through a letter yeah. uh, an urgent letter now this is where and I've been one of these people with a bee in my bonnet about healthcare here and the state of affairs with the base hospital. Um, my experience of it, and I know it's just my experience, but this is what I went through, is I was admitted uh, with all of those symptoms. I admitted myself on a Friday. So I had the stress test on a Thursday, went in on a Friday, and I sat there for three days with no treatment and my no, no testing. Now, my brother, who's a very senior doctor at Peninsula Private Hospital, he used to be the director of intensive care for the whole eastern half of Melbourne, so a very senior intensive care physician. He was ringing me every day and saying, what's happened with this angiogram? Why have they not done an angiogram yet? Which is where they basically put a marker dye in your arteries and take a 3D image of your arteries to see where if there's narrowings in your arteries due to a build-up, atherosclerosis. Mm. No angiogram, no nothing. So I sat there for the the uh, three days, and my brother. Now I was advocating for myself too. I was asking for treatment and asking to be moved. And they had six transfers that they'd booked in successively that they kept cancelling because COVID was taking off, and they wouldn't oh, take course. patients anywhere. So, and the poor head nurse who was in my ward, she in the end, I said to her, "You can't keep coming in here and and saying." I've got a transfer booked and then coming and cancelling it because I'm getting anxious. Uh, just Unless you've got the trolley to wheel me out of here, just please keep it to yourself. She cried. She's just like, I've been up all night trying to book this in for you to get this transfer done. But to cut a long, like, longish story short, 
my brother rang the then CEO of the hospital and said, uh, I will put an injunction on the hospital through my barrister and fly him to Melbourne myself and sue you for costs. Uh, and if you kill him through your continued professional negligence, we will. I will absolutely clean out the hospital. We'll sue you and I'll have your job. I was on a plane that afternoon. Now, I got flown to Melbourne. My mobile phone went off and it was the admin assistants from the cath lab at the Albury Base Hospital. They hadn't even opened the email. She opened the email. I was wow. strapped to the trolley in the ambulance and my mobile went off. And she said, can I interest you in an angiogram? And I said, you, you can't, you're kidding me. And she said, well, I'm sorry, but we're only open 16 hours a week in here. We can only afford to open the cath lab on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Now, it's no slight on anyone that's working at Albury Wodonga Health, right? I'm on the ethics committee at the base ho- the hospital, Albury Wodonga Health. I've done that to try and help. Um, I did the trip, paddle trip to try and help. I'm bringing it up as a conversation to try and help. I'd like that admin assistant in the cath lab to have a full-time job. It's not her fault. Uh, it's not, um, you know, the doctors that are in there and, you know, the senior um, doctor who does all of the um, the angiograms and stents and things in there, Dr. Sims, a fantastic doctor. They just need m- more resources. They need better resources and a, a better um, depth in their payroll so they can keep people on and give them yeah. full-time work Absolutely. and save lives. We, we've got people and the problem with cardiac and I'm getting a bit of a bee in my bonnet here and I'll, I'll, I'll just get this last bit out. The problem that I saw in cardiac that dr- drove me to engage in this trip, a big part of the reason and having this conversation around healthcare was the glowing gap between our man- mentality around cardiac health and the way we look at cancer. And cancer rightfully has, it's on the, the desk, it's, it's on the hit list we test early, we test often, um, we test consistently, uh, and the earlier the better. And that's the mantra. Now, I went to a cardiologist and raised the idea, the notion of early testing for cardiac health and the response, and it was a conditioned response and it was conditioned by that lack of resources I was just talking about. He turned around to me and said, no, we, you can't encourage people to do that because um, we need to save our testing resources for people that are critically unwell. And I thought to myself, that is just nuts. If if I had a child who had cancer, the early stages of cancer, imagine the uproar if anyone had a child that had the early state or parent or whatever, partner, the early sta- stages of cancer happening and a doctor turned around and said, no, nah, we're Little Johnny, we're not going to test Johnny because he's not sick enough yet. Come on. And that's normalized with cardiac. So my thought was we need to push back. We need to make it a squeaky wheel yeah. you know, with all forms of cancer and we need to do the advocacy and, and push harder for better resources, more money, and it shouldn't be our biggest killer. Yeah, absolutely, and that that was obviously a big part of the mm. the, the trip and and the journey. So this was in this was in twenty twenty. Um, yep. You know, it's only a few years later that you've you've done this extraordinary trip. So yeah. Um, how uh, quickly did you? Well, first off, an operation. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine triple bypass. Triple bypass. Yep. How long did it then take for you to mentally and physically to even consider going yeah. on a trip like this? Well, I literally, the triple bypass, um, 
for those that don't know, and there will be a few that don't know, I had no idea what it meant. So in a nutshell, your heart muscle has five arteries on the outside of it and you have occlusions or blockages or narrowings. And basically what a bypass is, is if you imagine your garden hose from your tap to your sprinkler and it's on and I walk up with a clamp and I clamp it in the middle, the sprinkler will turn off, but there'll still be water pressure on the tap side of the blockage. All they're doing is putting a T-joiner on that part of the hose with flow and bypassing the blockage and reconnecting it on the other side to restore flow. And that's what they do on the arteries on your heart from your aorta around the blockage and then and then uh, onto your heart. So to do that, they've got to saw your sternum in half and crack you open like an egg. Uh, for me, it meant taking the arteries out of my forearms, my radial arteries, and one artery from underneath my um, rib cage, which is fine. The, the surgeons come in and say, can we have that? Can we have that? And, well, well you know, it's going to keep me alive. Go, yeah, go hardest. Yeah. yeah. But I would imagine you're not feeling terrible, are you? Because, I mean, I know that you were saying that you started to get shortness of breath, Was but was that continuous? Or, or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at that point, that I was basically kept alive with um, a spray. Oh. Uh, uh, it's a spray that goes under your tongue that makes you vasodilate um, without going into the actual medication. But um, I went in, had that done, and then you basically go through a couple of days. It was seven-hour surgery, a couple of days in a coma in ICU. Woke up with – you have sternal wires, and it's not unique to me. There's plenty of people that have bypass surgery, but you wake up – and your sternum's loose and the only thing holding it together is a like fencing wire twitch uh, and you have to learn to walk again. So you're up and walking within four or five days. They want to you to do that. That's the first step in the recovery. And then it was a just a gradual recovery over six months, three to six months from the trauma of the surgery, surgery physically because everything atrophies and you can't move around properly and... Um, and that affects everyone differently, but I just basically took my experience and I thought, well, I had all this damage that had happened without me knowing. I'm actually going to have a hit list of all the things I need to consider. Rest, exercise, stress, nutrition, right? And then drugs, drugs and alcohol. Not that I did any drugs other than alcohol, but alcohol is a drug, so you put that in that category. And then supplements, uh, and medication. So there's roughly six things and uh, I just basically did a list of things that I include and the things that I excluded based on how I, f- I personally responded to it. And the first thing was nutrition. Nutrition, mm-hmm. rest and then exercise, which I gradually ramped up. So I literally started on the exercise bike when I could move and walk. I walked into the garage at home and I did one kilometer. And then the next day I walked in and I did two. And it's literally, I went on yeah, with that yeah. and I didn't stop till I finished the paddle trip. And when did you start to feel like <clears throat> you were back as, as, a, as a similar, you know, kind of physical condition? 12 took 12, 12 months. 12 months. And d- did you enjoy the, did you enjoy the, the process because it was such a challenge? 100%. Everything about it. 
I can imagine someone like you would. I can imagine other people may not, but I, I, I can imagine that you would you would almost like a, a Rocky movie. You know, your backs to the wall. You you got no you're, choice. You're fighting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's not it's not a um, something that I ever wanted to make. Even this, like making a big song and dance about it. I have mad imposter syndrome. Like I would be going down the river and people would go, "Oh, what are you doing? That that's bonkers! Like you off your head, like." And I'd feel weird talking about it on a level, but it was really a combination. I, I didn't want to lose the opportunity to have the conversation about health. Yeah. Um, and still challenge myself. That's a big part of it. I wanted an adventure. I wanted to be challenged and uh, do something that no one's ever done before. And if it wasn't for the heart surgery and going through the, that adversity, I wouldn't have done the trip. It, it was the trigger. You know, it, I just went on with it. And I'm, it's sort of, uh, and I say yes to more, you know, going up in helicopters to do photo shoots and things like that. I don't yeah, hesitate yeah. now. Are you living a better life? I mean, one of one of the questions that uh, we often ask in the journey is is a sliding doors moment. Mm. And the idea really is it's a sliding door moment really of, of your own yep. choosing, I guess, because of the decisions that you made. This wasn't, but are you living a better life this, I, I see it. Yeah, and in that, that question, I, I would consider this a sliding door moment. It literally presented me. I, I went through the experience and stepped out through the door being faced with um, an increased awareness, a personal awareness of the importance of consistency in making those decisions. And I'm getting approached now by schools and health organizations and because they're seeing the message behind why and they're looking with their cohort or their student group or whatever it is to hopefully get that message across and flick some switches in people's thinking about you know what maybe i i can refine the way i eat or when i eat um you know things like intermittent fasting that's all the, the sort of um preparatory stuff that I was doing nutritionally, I experimented with all of that and found a balance that worked for me. And it was either in or it was out based on how I responded to it. And uh, when you take that approach, but the key to it is the goal. So, and the key to getting through the adversity and being stuck in the middle of the lake and feeling like I was going to die and I just wanted to push the button on the EPIRB and have someone come pick me up. Um, I, mate, I was in tears out there. I couldn't stand i was just about throwing myself off the board and it was just i had to take a deep breath and slow down and say this is more decisions this is just another fork in the journey like it's another fork in the road and uh yeah i can make that decision i can just pull it back a little bit and i can manage the situation and i've calculated everything else made a bad decision to come in at the top of the lake here um learn from it yeah you know? yeah yeah was the was the goal obviously the goal initially was just to get yourself healthy mm. but when did the goal start to to switch to this crazy idea of paddling 2600 plus kilometers when did that become something that you'd really focused on well it was 18 months of planning before i left so so you you had the operation your immediate few months was obviously just getting yeah. fit and healthy again. Yeah. And it mustn't have been long after that mm. that you thought, you know what, I'm actually going to 
Yeah, so yeah. It's something extraordinary. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's sort of, it's not a, a hard date that it happened. Um, interestingly, it's like the book. When I wrote the book, it, I'd already sort of had the wheels in motion and I'd been, a lot of the equipment that I took with me, um, I'd already started building the 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 kit that I needed to make a trip like this happen, even though I hadn't defined what this trip was. So I probably had 25, 30% of the equipment already in the cupboard on the shelf, the yeah, adventure cupboard, yeah. if you know what I mean. And it, it sort of, um, it kind of forced my hand into polarizing it into a thing in going through this process and going, okay, well, and the biggest reason that, that I got Guinness World Records involved was in well, it's not the biggest reason. It was in co- almost a side note. I was um, just looking online and looking at what people had done and considering options to have an adventure and to do something unique. And I thought I'll just run this through Guinness and I'll see what mm. if someone's done this because you see you see them on there. You know, you you might have seen Bonnie Hancock. She's an Australian. Surf Lifesaver, she, just before I went on my trip, she, and I've had a few people say, what you've done blows me away, like I can't believe it, which I guess is fair enough after a triple bypass, but she did 14,000 Ks around Australia, circumnavigated the whole country on a surf ski in the ocean, like saltwater crocs and sharks and whales and, you know, boat drivers who were saying to her while she was on the water, um... I can't take the boat out today. It's too dangerous. So we need to reconsider what we're doing. And, you know, she's trying to have to negotiate sort of keeping things moving. And so, yeah, I looked and it was within reach. And I thought, well, maybe the if I add the Guinness World Record aspect in, it'll give it a little bit more gravity, which I think because it got a little bit of traction with Sunrise, um, Weekend Sunrise, they did a piece on it. And I think having it as a Guinness World Record added to the the messaging and um yeah the appeal for the general public to kind of buy in yeah and of course yeah. it was um you tied it in directly to heart health yep as well so i mean it ticked it ticked all the boxes yeah and uh took you as we said three months so now you've you've finished that yep what's the next challenge then peter are you going to add to your book because your book can have a whole multiple extra uh, para, um, chapters in in it now what's what's the focus uh i actually have a without um giving too much away i've got a list of about um because we have a range of interests as it is but i'm i'm looking at um consolidating i've got roughly 10 things that i work on and I'm going to be consolidating those potentially to something new that I've never done before, which is more along the lines of the way I've lived my life. You know, I, I, I look for unique opportunities and things. I'm not the sort of person that can just lock into a cubicle or a job and do 30 years of it. You know, I just, yeah, my brother's got that gene. <laughs> <laughs> but I got this kind of weird blend of creative and um, intense focus and yeah. Back to pho- photography. No, as I a think base, that'll though. always be. There'll always be those regular clients that I have. They can just call me or send me a, a job list and I'll go do it. But uh, that's only going to be a percentage of the time. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, well. yeah, I've got a, got a few things up my sleeve. I don't want to give too much away, um, but yeah, I'm looking at doing something new and uh, unique that hasn't been done before, and actually learning from my own experience in bringing this paddle trip together. And because I kind of, I mean, I had a good mate bail me up yesterday at the supermarket, and he said, "Mate, he said I didn't think you had it in you." He said, oh, when you put it up online, I just didn't think you'd be prepared enough where you had it in you. And I'm sorry I doubted you. You've shut me up. You know, like I'm amazed. Congratulations. He stuck his hand out and shook my hand. So that level of achievement, I know I can achieve big things. Uh, and uh, this one particular area in those 10, I'm going to double down on it. All right, watch this space. Yeah. Classic. Uh, I want to end in a slightly different way. Uh, I want you to just look behind you at the TV. Yeah. And we've got a picture of, I assume that's Lake Hume. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what, do you, what goes through your mind when you see it's a picture of, of the trees that, that come out of the water as, and the beautiful, you know, the, the, the hills in the background? Yeah. What, what's your, your thought when you see something like that now? Um, I have a, an altered sense of scale. So in term, practical terms, I see that as um, that's just a minute fraction of what's out there. It's beautiful. And for people, and even in my own life, when I've seen things like that, I've gone makes me feel free that looks that looks amazing it's a huge kind of vista it's actually not that that is it is in a sense but it's just a fraction of what's out there and uh um yeah that it's beautiful but there's a whole lot more yeah there's so much more yeah and so much more in terms of what you can enjoy and what you can endure and what's on the other side of enduring the hard you know in, in the context of the paddle trip that takes me straight to the paddle trip i had plenty of days like that i'd have days where i just didn't just didn't want to be on the board like you'd have pain all day and adverse weather conditions and some piece of music would come on in your headphones and you'd look up and the sun would break through the clouds and you'd get goosebumps up the back of your neck and tear up and no one else would see that. I had one glorious moment coming through a national park with, I looked up what it was. It was a little kingfisher, electric metallic blue called an azure kingfisher with a, a vibrant orange chest. Never seen one before. And it was flicked up like a bat and speared a fish and landed back on the branch right next to me. And I didn't get it on camera. I didn't, no one else saw it but me, but I teared again. I teared up, and it was just uh, a priceless moment that I just it put everything into context. How, how and and also the sense of how um, they actually one the cameraman at Channel Seven sent me a photograph, which is on the webs my website, the photography website. Um, I've got a paddle page on there for the world record, um, which is a shot of me in the foreground with the Murray mouth behind me in the ocean. And um, it was my wife's grandmother said, it just goes to show in the scheme of it how insignificant we are. You know, it's in her yeah. head. That's, that's kind of, so that 
kind of gets me to that yeah, sort of sense yeah. of scale. Yeah, extraordinary. Well, what what a journey, and what a journey it's been today as well. And it still feels like just a snapshot, but it was it was wonderful. Um, ad- adventurous um, author, photographer, and uh, in another life, maybe a teacher as as well yeah. at uh, primary school. Pete Charlesworth, thank you so much yeah. for sharing your My journey. Pleasure. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Appreciate it.